Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Capital Chats. I'm your host, Michelle Johnson. I have IESB's lobbyist, Emily Piper, here with me today to go over the policy proposals that Governor Kim Reynolds laid out in her Condition of the State Address. So the governor's speech outlined her priorities for the legislative session and what she would like to see accomplished, including several proposals related to education. So Emily, let's start off with an issue that no one wants to hear the legislator talking about, but unfortunately it is a priority for them this year, vouchers. What did the governor say about a voucher program in Iowa and what are the prospects of it gaining traction this year? Thanks, Michelle. Yes, we were not surprised by the fact that the governor proposed again establishing vouchers, which she calls students first scholarships, but she made some changes in this proposal over what was proposed last year. And I think that was in an attempt to gain support. As you recall, last year, we had at least 15 to 20 very strong no votes against the voucher proposal. And in an attempt, I think, to break that log jam, she's made some changes in her proposal. So first of all, the vouchers will be available to any student who's currently enrolled in a public school. That's different from last year. You could have gotten them if you were already in a private school or if you had never enrolled in the public school. Secondly, she's put an income threshold on it. So for example, a family of four making $106,000 or less would be eligible. So income eligibility is another thing that she's done to try to minimize the opposition to vouchers. And the last thing she changed was allowing those who are on an individual education plan, an IEP to special ed students to also take advantage of those. One of the kind of interesting things that she did is the remaining state dollars that would not go follow the student for the voucher would actually be redistributed to rural schools. I see this as an effort to try to get rural legislators to say, oh, this isn't a big deal. But as we've seen in other states, almost every single voucher program has been a very small, targeted approach. And then over the years, it continues to expand. So we have the exact same concerns that we had last year. And we're going to continue to try to hold those rural legislators who also share our concerns. I think this is going to be a long game. This is going to be one of those things that goes to the end of the legislative session. And we're going to have to just keep putting the pressure on and making sure we do not lose those 12 to 15 rural legislators who have been hard nose on vouchers in the past. Advocacy will definitely be important in this area. So the governor also spent a significant amount of time on her speech addressing the workforce shortage issues in Iowa with the teacher shortage, of course, being top of mind for many. So how does the governor intend to address this issue? We commend her for taking a stab at that because that's obviously one of our priorities as well. We think we could have gone further, but it's a good start. She's proposing a teacher apprenticeship program, which would allow high schoolers and paraeducators to move more quickly into the teaching workforce by giving them apprenticeship dollars and then helping them complete their associate's degree so they can move on and get a bachelor's degree to become a teacher. So I think that's a really good first step. In addition, in her budget, she put some additional money in the Teach Iowa Scholar Program. That program is a loan repayment program for teachers who agree to go teach in a school district for five years, and that's something that we also strongly support. Finally, and this is much more controversial, She's using some federal funds that we've received under the stimulus package to pay a $1,000 retention bonus for teachers who served during the COVID pandemic. And that's awesome. The problem is, is there were a lot of other school employees, paraeducators, bus drivers, food service workers, counselors, nurses, who also underwent the stress of serving their students during the pandemic, and they were not included in that. So I expect we'll see some changes and some pushback from a lot of folks saying, wait a minute, there was a whole team of people that made sure these kids were in the classroom. 
So parental rights and transparency as it relates to their child's education have become more prominent issues, especially since the beginning of the pandemic. We've heard talk about a parental bill of rights and other measures to monitor curriculum and lesson plans at schools. What has the governor proposed in terms of school transparency and will school boards be required to make any changes to the way they do business? What the governor has essentially done is kind of switch the dynamic. So school boards already have policies in place and processes in place for parents to ask to see and review instructional material. And if they have objections, to file those objections and go through the process. But it requires the parent to take that initiative. What the governor is saying is, no, the schools have to just provide that information in an easily accessible manner And then the parents and families can review it. So it's not upon request. Now it's something that we'll have to put on district websites. I don't know that that's completely problematic. Of course, we haven't seen the language yet. Probably the more challenging part is a requirement that the districts put on their website a list of the books available in their libraries. That is going to be very challenging for districts to do. First of all, districts with multiple buildings have multiple classrooms. So we'll How will we know? How do we get that information onto the website? That's something that we're going to have to have some serious discussion about. But I go back to, if all we're trying to do is make sure parents have access like they already do, I think we can work through this. It's just a matter of the mechanics of how it's required. Thanks to Emily for giving us this breakdown of the main education parts of the governor's speech. Um, As always, we will have legislative updates every Friday in our board briefs email. You'll get the top highlights of each week, bill summaries, and an advocacy action that you can take. So an advocacy action you can all do this week is to register for our Day on the Hill, which is scheduled February 1st. Our registration is open on our website, and Day on the Hill is our chance to advocate for public education as a united group, and we look forward to seeing you there. So thanks to everyone for listening. Mm -hmm.